This is episode number 94 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Jordan Stoffer. Jordan is a hitting instructor who is based out of Colorado. He has his own facility. Actually used to be a former Division One coach. Talks a little bit about the differences between you know being a college coach versus an instructor. Also played professional baseball and and was really certified in, in a ton of different areas from a strength and conditioning background and has really studied the swing for several years now. And he's just he's really somebody who I, I think is really uh, who fits the mold for the, a hitting coach of this era where it's not just the old school, you know, have your one or two, you know, cues that you give to each player, but it's really screening each player understanding how they move and building a swing that fits around them. So I think uh, I think Jordan is on the right track in terms of being a really, really good hitting instructor. And I'd also like to remind you guys that this episode is brought to you by Blast Motion. Blast Motion is a bat sensor that puts on the uh, you put on the end of your bat, tracks attack angle, time to contact, how long you're on playing with the pitch for. Head on over to BlastMotion.com and type in code PJB25 for $25 off. And ladies and gentlemen, here is Jordan Stoffer. All right, and we are now live with Jordan Stoffer. Jordan, what's up, man? How's everything going? Things are great, man. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Living the dream. I'm back in Ohio now. I was I actually went to a TPI seminar out in uh, Scottsdale last week or Phoenix, I should say, last week and, okay. and just got back and um, you know, I, I was a little spoiled with the weather out there. I'm back in cloudy right. cloudy Cincinnati, Ohio again, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, little, I'm a little jealous of the of those uh, everyone who lives out, out there. But yeah. for for everyone who's who's listening right now, maybe if you could just give a, a little bit of brief background, kind of on yourself and um, and how you came to be where you're at right now. Yeah, um, I played at Metro State University in Denver. Um, I had a good career there. It's a Division two school. Um, um, hold a, some home run records there the single season and nice. um, had some other. Uh, the offensive uh, statistical categories that were really good. And, and, uh, and so I was really hopped up and thinking that I could continue playing and I got to independent ball and, and uh, was a little overwhelmed probably by, um, by the pitching there. I think I assumed that it wasn't as good as it was going to be. And uh, so I had a really good first half and a terrible second half and uh, decided to, I don't think I was going to be a major leaguer anymore. And so I wanted to start coaching and I went back home and started coaching at Rocky mountain high school, um, uh, under Scott Bullock. And, uh, he's an amazing coach, well-respected coach, uh, multiple time state champion out here. Um, and I played for him as well. And, uh, then I went out to Santa Barbara city college. I, I was, a uh, an assistant coach at Santa Barbara city under Jeff Walker, um, and had an awesome experience. And, um, that's when I got the call to go to university of Northern Colorado as the hitting coach and catching coach. And, uh, so I came back to Greeley and under Carly Wasaki and, uh, Kai, Kai Correa, if you know him, yeah. uh, with the Friday fielders, um, me and Kai shared a desk and shared lots of information, um, and had, had an awesome time. And, and uh, I'd, I'd kind of always wanted to start my own, uh, baseball performance training facility because, um, I just felt like that was such a huge lacking component in the baseball world. 
And I've always been obsessed with fitness, obsessed with strength and conditioning. And I figured, hey, I'm, I was a good player and um, maybe, I, maybe we can blend the approach a little bit more. And that was kind of back when I was playing college in 2007 through 11. Um, and, and it's kind of funny how it seems like things are really going that way. So it's so exciting. Just the baseball world right now is uh, – or the training world right now is – uh, super exciting for me. I feel like there's a wealth of information and, and, uh, so many ways guys can learn. And I think the game is going to be better because of it. Going back to when you said you played indie ball, where'd you play indie ball at? Um, I played in the frontier league. Um, and then I had a small, uh, portion in the Pecos league too. Oh, I don't know if you remember that. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> do you, do you have any, any crazy Pecos league stories? We, we love to hear Pecos stories on, um, on this podcast. Oh man. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I think, well, we stayed in like, uh, we stayed in a little dorm when we got there and that was, that was just a ton of craziness. Cause I think there were like 65 guys. And so it was just absurd. And, uh, in one we dorm? probably, yeah. Yeah. And like this huge. Um, I think it was actually a mental health facility um, that had kind of been cleared out for us. And so we were in bunk beds and stuff. Um, And uh, and then I think our paychecks would either bounce or like only half of us would get them. Um, And uh, so I think that was pretty funny. And then um, we did get to Trinidad one time. And uh, I think we were like six guys to a room. I mean, it was unbelievable. Oh, we were God. like, we were like dragging old, dirty mattresses out from their storage and and uh, trying to pack in six to a room. Um, do, do you know John Sintas? Um, I do, I do. <laughs> yeah. On, yeah, I do. Me and John played on that same team, and uh, so he could probably tell you some funny stuff too. But uh, he was probably he was on that same trip, um, so I bet I bet he remembers that. <laughs> I bet you feel like when you made it to the Frontier League. I bet you feel like you literally made it to the big leagues compared to the <laughs> yeah. yeah, just to like have a have a clubhouse like was the was the big thing. Um, <laughs> just like have a place <laughs> where you could get dressed was amazing, um, and then a little bit of food after and before games was was great. So yeah. So after you got done uh, playing independent baseball, I know you got said you went you got into college coaching, but when throughout like what time period were you? getting like your certified strength conditioning and like you have a bunch of different certifications. So I'm kind of wondering when did you become really obsessed with learning about the body, the body swing connection, I guess you could say. Um, it was in college. Um, I, I had some, I had a really good hitting coach for like two years in college and his mechanical approach didn't make a whole lot of sense with the way he wanted me to swing. And he actually really, really helped me from a mentality standpoint. Cause he was like, Hey, um, you're slow. You need to never hit the ball on the ground again. So we're just going to hunt balls up in the zone and we're going to see how far we can hit them. And so that really changed my mentality in my career. Um, but the mechanics part was kind of funky because he was still kind of teaching like, um, I don't know, like a really steep to the ball type of mentality, uh, really premature back leg rotation or rear hip rotation. So kind of a disconnected um, you know, and it didn't bother me too much cause I, I feel like, um, I, I didn't put too much like thought into that. I was more worried about like, okay, how far can I hit this ball? And I like the more meathead type approach to, to hitting. And so that kind of got me interested in it. And, um, and then I was also learning kinesiology at the same time. 
um, through college. And I was like, gosh, why is no one teaching the kinetic link? Like this is pretty like basic stuff. They've had this forever. Like why don't we teach uh, ground force reaction? Like what, why isn't that happening? And, um, and obviously baseball is pretty conservative and, um, and just in the way they teach and, and, and some of the things that have uh, accumulated over time. But that's kind of when it started for me. And then, um, yeah, does that answer your question? I, yeah, I think yeah, that's, yeah. I'm just, yeah. I'm kind of curious because, you know, after I got done playing um, last year in the Pecos as well, um, I got, I'm big kind of, you know, obsessed with learning about, you know, the body and, and how it relates to the swing and just helping out players right. because at the end of the day, you know, I'm sure you, you feel the same way. You just want to help as many players as you can who you work with and whatever it takes to, to do that, you know, you want to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, um, what's like, what type of technology do you like to use when you and working with hitters or do you like to use technology? Yeah. Um, so I have a Rapsodo hitting unit. Um, and I've been using that for the past year. Um, I got it kind of right when they were coming out. I mean, I've always wanted to hit tracks. Um, just from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense. I have a pretty small space and I like try to keep things to small groups and, um, it's not really part of my, my business model, but I want to still give guys really good, um, really good information. And if we need to get detailed, um, that we can, and the Rapsodo does that pretty well for me. Um, doesn't the Rapsodo pretty much like, doesn't that give you every metric nearly that the Hitrax does? I don't know if it, well, Hitrax is, you can do, you can get lost in hit tracks. It's just like a black hole of data <laughs> possibilities. Yeah. Um, you can also um, measure catchers and um, you can do, I mean, it's, it's more probably in real time than the Rapsodo is. Um, but the Rapsodo has been great and um, it, it, it's not quite as like pretty as hit tracks is, but it has like all your basic information that you would need and that would want to make good evaluations and do good swing design, I guess is the better way to describe it is if you really want to design swings and, and have good feedback, um, the Rapsodo is good enough that it can do that for you. Whereas I, I feel like the hit tracks probably just a little more attractive for, um, if you're trying to bring in, um, you know, large amounts of guys and have them compete against each other and have a really pretty and professional look to it. Um, I think that's probably the, the main difference. I think, uh, hit tracks also uses a TrackMan uh, radar system, which is, um, more like what major league baseball uses. And, um, some of the professional golf coaches use. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. And when I was out at TPI, it's just, it's really nuts how much further ahead the golf world is than baseball in terms of technology. Right. Actually, I was able to go out to, to K Motion, their, uh, their actual headquarters. Oh, the K -Vest. Yeah, with the K Vest. Yeah. And um, I didn't know, they've been around since 2006, only in golf. And then up until eight months ago is when they started um, in baseball. And it was by mistake. It was uh, Marcus Stroman when he got hurt and uh, tore his ACL. He was rehabbing down in North Carolina. And um, they put the he, he started messing with the K vest, and so they started using it as a rehab, rehab tool for him. And then right. um, and then it kind of snowballed. You know, an organization came to him and said, you know, why don't you guys do this for baseball? Like you've been doing it for golf, and so that just kind of snowballed. And uh, you know, now they've been doing it eight or nine months in baseball, and um, it's been pretty cool. It's really cool, cool stuff. Um, I think it's 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 early in baseball, so you don't really know how to 
how it can help players yet at the at the highest level. I mean, for sure, younger levels, but maybe the highest level. Um, have right. you ever messed around with KVest at all? No, but um, when I heard it came out, I was I'm pretty jacked about it. Um, obviously, it's five or six thousand dollars, so it's like um, you want everything that yeah, anything that could give me an edge, I want. Um, and then obviously, I'm limited by budget sometimes, but um, that would be that would be on the Christmas list of. Uh, if I had an unlimited budget, I would definitely get that, but I have seen it. Um, from what I know, it's, uh, you're trying to, you, you can like get a visual of biomechanics and you can see where you're like optimizing and where you're lacking. And, um, from like kind of a three dimensional standpoint or from the, you know, hip, shoulder, spine, you can kind of see each segment of the body working, um, you know, with it with each other so um seems pretty awesome when when you were talking earlier about swing design um what do you mean by that do you mean is that like after you do um, a screening on a player and you see them hit you sit back down and you're basically like you know okay we need to kind of work around how you're built to best you know design your swing like how, what do you mean by swing design yeah um so well, I guess I'll tell you about my evaluation process. Okay. Um, so everybody who comes in goes through the rap soto, and then I also use blast motion. So I have all the guys in on blast motion, and so I'm getting a pretty good readout for, you know, time to contact and um, what their bat speed is, how their body's moving, um, and then also what the ball's doing. So I get a pretty good idea of just some basic metrics, um, even a spray chart, like what their tendency is. Um, just doing some front toss. Um, and then we go through like a movement evaluation, which in the past I've done more of the FMS screening or the functional movement screen. Yep. And I'm starting to get away from it because I don't want to, I, I don't know if isolated movements are the best way to evaluate, but rather, uh, maybe more connected movements, maybe more hitting specific movements. And so I've started doing, um, more evaluation, probably similar to what TPI is doing, um, like assessing, uh, rotation as it's relative to like hitting postures and hitting positions, um, and assessing like scapular motion, um, in some of those more and some of the more hitting postures. And so we do that. Um, and then I don't try to throw too much detail that first time, but, but give an idea of what I want or what I would probably think that is, uh, the best route for them, um, based off of, Hey, do we have enough bat speed and do we have enough adjustability and are we making decisions in the, in the amount of time that we need to. So then the last phase is taking video and from a couple different angles and, um, and I don't have a super high speed camera. I just use the iPhone, but, um, but it does good enough for us to, to be able to compare some things on the side view, uh, rear view, and then front view, um, and, and get an idea of where we're probably leaking energy or where we're losing opportunities for, um, for adjustability or, or how long we're holding on to things so that we can commit later and later. When you when you work with your with those guys after going through that, do you have uh, some sort of schedule for them when they get there, or how like when they first walk in for their their training each day? I mean, how is it set up? Is it thirty minutes and an hour, and then they're out, or like how do you do it at your place? Yeah, so um, we do. It's actually a little over an hour. So I have 
it's, it's groups of guys that are kind of overlapping each other. So I start on the hour with new groups, but I write programs for everybody. So, um, I'm acting as the strength coach and the hitting coach at the same time. Um, and I actually like that because then I control everything. So if I see a faulty movement pattern or like faulty posture, so say somebody has really excessive, um, like lumbar, um, extension, um, then I can, um, then I can kind of program that in their, uh, in their fitness programming. And over time, you'll actually see it start to leak into their hitting posture and, and, and the rib cage is going to sit a lot better on the hips then. And uh, we have a more neutral curve or, or, uh, you know, a little less extension in the lumbar spine. Um, and that's going to help them with their hitting posture. So, um, I guess that's kind of a rough example of, I love to control both facets because they're going to, they're going to overlap into each other. They're going to spill over. So, um, so I have like a hitting program that's, that's on a PDF that they have on their phones, or I prefer them to print it off and, and be, be making notes and checking weights. Um, and then they have a PDF hitting program as well. And that includes their dynamic prep, um, like dry hitting work. I want them to do, um, all the goals that we have in mind. So some kids are more lofty. I have some kids are like, like they're on the track of, I want to play base pro baseball hundred percent. That's what I'm focused on. Or I want to pay division one baseball. That's what I'm focused on. And then I have some kids who are just they They want to be a good varsity high school player and, and, uh, see where that takes them. So, um, regardless of what their, how lofty their goals are, we're going to kind of, um, Hey, Hey, you need this much time. Um, you know, you need eight to 12 weeks to see something like this happen. Um, so being realistic up front and, and having them understand what they want and what I think is possible, um, I think, um, gives them a really good plan and it allows them to know where on the map that they are. So they know where they're going. So you only work out of groups. You got, you just do group sessions. Um, after you've done the first two or three with me one-on-one, then yes. Okay. How do you like that? How do you like doing the groups? Love groups. Um, because if, so, you know, who Franz Bosch is, you know, who, um, Bernstein is, um, the, uh, the book dynamics of skill acquisition, um, some motor learning. I mean, things are pointing in the direction that we need to do a better job of getting guys to compete in training. Um, because we need it to spill over into game speed. Um, and so when you have a group of three and you're posting or three or four, however many of the groups are, and you're posting results and you're making them compete against each other, maybe at the last 20 minutes, um, or uh, they're kind of watching and learning from each other because they're similar age or skill level. It's really funny how the learning experience gets heightened. Um, whereas one-on-one is, um, I've actually probably had a bad experience with one-on-one in the sense that it, it kind of like, th- there is no accountability that way. There's no peer pressure and I want that to be there. Um, I, w- I want them to have that pressure um, because that's real life and that's, um, that is the competitive environment it is letting guys see you screw up and not being afraid to look weird in front of people and, and still carry out your process. Yeah, I, I love how I love that part where you, it's not it's it's being in an environment where you're not afraid to fail, and right. it, you know I think 
I think you're starting to really see that across some of the top facilities um, around. I mean, everyone knows about driveline, how big they are and things like that. And you see the, you know, that's kind of the epitome of it, but it sounds like you're doing it at your place as well. I know there's a couple other um, places, but I completely agree with the group lesson dynamic. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, nobody, nobody needs someone to put a ball on the team after every single swing, you know, give you a verbal cue. Exactly. It can be a huge detriment. It really so. can. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I do. I do really like, um, I do really like that part of it. Now, what are you at your, I know you're always constantly learning, trying to find new things about the swing and the body. Is there anything like currently that you're looking at? or interested in learning more about in terms of the swing or just, uh, anything across hitting? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I really like the idea of having some more hard evidence or hard proof of what attractors and fluctuators are in the swing. Um, I believe actually somebody presented that, um, at, um, gosh, I can't remember which seminar it was at. Palooza? Um, it might've been Palooza. I know Tyler Jeske, um, his seminar out at Missouri state. Yeah. Slugfest. Um, which I didn't get a chance to go out. I was actually there. I was actually there. Okay. Um, did, did they present on that? Um, what was it again? What were you saying? Attractors and fluctuators in the swing. Yes, there was, so there was tons of speakers there. There was a few I actually missed because I had to run back to the hotel to do it, to actually record a podcast with someone. Oh yeah. But, um, the there possibly that possibly could have been it. I might have been it might have just been one one of the ones I missed. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean that that's something that's been of interest to me, and I think I have somewhat of a grasp of it, and and can maybe pl- like experiment myself. But um, but that would be that would be something to that would be kind of a cool rabbit hole to go down um, with hitting. Um, and then I think those along those same lines. Um, would be um, the guy, the stuff that uh, the Netherlands baseball is doing um, is pretty high level. I think there's a lot to learn from that. Um, again, I think there's it's important to always keep a filter of if I'm in a if I'm in a team setting because that's that's where most baseball is taught is in a team setting and is how can I provide a uh, a good service to my players and and give them the environment that they can be in to thrive um and get it all done inside a two to three hour practice window um i think that's a really challenge a big challenge so um i i just i've been through that myself and and now looking back would change a lot of things (laughs) i think that's what coaches are supposed to do is realize um you know how they would go back and make adjustments but um further being able to individualize guys in team settings, I guess would, would be a nice one sentence for that. How do we individualize in team settings better over time? I do. I have seen the Netherlands and some of the stuff they're doing. I think it's interesting how it's, it's someone, it's a, it's a country that's away from the United States. And I think that's probably true because we're, we just live in a, in a, in a world in the baseball world here in the U S where this is how we've always done it. So this is how we're going to continue to do it. And versus right. someone who thinks outside the box a little bit, like, well, wait, like what, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why not do right. it? Why not try something else? Right. Um, yep. what agree. do you think? What do you think about the using the T? Do you like using the T? 
Um, wow. Uh, so I love using the T if we're trying to just learn a movement and isolate some things. Um, do I, do I believe it has a sport specific transfer? Um, I don't know. I think you'd have to test it. I think, I mean, I think you'd have to literally just set up some experiments, but, um, I, the thing I try to do is I try to spend probably less than 20% of our time on the T. Um, because baseball is, is played with, uh, a need to have rhythm and timing, um, and sensory feedback and anticipation, um, all these things that we're not quite getting off the T. So, um, but I do use the T and still can create challenges like that. So, um, I have this one competition I do, it's called a, it's called two T sprints. So we have two guys facing each other. Um, there, there's two tees there. Um, I'm telling them when to go, and I'm telling them which ball to hit. Um, and so they're kind of in a race with each other. They're going from launch position, um, and uh, or if, if not everybody knows what launch position is, or the way I describe it, it's it's that place where we've landed after um, after our like, timing mechanism has taken place, um, and we're and we're like competing against each other. Um, we're, we're working on quick quickness to contact. And so you can do it. You can get creative with the T. Um, and I, and in no way am I bashing the T at all. I just, um, I think there's probably, you know, if we're thinking of our 80, 20, um, you know, if we're going to get 80% of our results from 20% of our work, what, what are we choosing to do most of our work, you know, or how are we choosing to spend most of our time? Um, because we want to get our guys better against live pitching. Yeah, and the only reason I, I brought up the T is I was talking to an instructor last week. Um, I, I think he'll be on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, and so maybe he'll he'll I'll definitely make sure to bring it up again. But his he's worked with some several, with several big leaguers who have gone on to to really turn their careers around, and he said that the T. The reason he doesn't like using the T, and he really doesn't use the T for anybody, whether it's kids or whether it's big leaguers, is it gets them in a completely different like mindset where they're they get they get good at at hitting a ball, but the ball's not moving, and that's not realistic right. to actual hitting. And it also, right. you know, you do certain movements off a T that you would never do front toss. You're gonna have he's he's found that you've, you're gonna have more hip shoulder separation because again, you know you know whether you mean it, whether you know it like you're really trying to do it or even not trying to do it. You have right. more hip shoulder separation, all those things, um, just because you know the ball's not moving. And so it right. was, it was interesting. I mean, I'm not like I said, I'm not saying I'm all like all off the tee either, but I do like hearing some different approaches. Um, and then another thing he talked about was weighted bats. He does not believe in weighted bats. He thinks they create a, a pushy swing. And for younger players they, who don't know how to use their legs, it makes them an upper body swing. So my next, okay. what, what do you think about using weighted bats? Um, I've had really good success with weighted bats. Okay. Um, I, and obviously there's tons of research to show that they can improve bat speed, um, and ball exit speed. Um, but I kind of, I sometimes I've had recently and Eugene Bleeker, I was listening to a podcast of his maybe a year ago and he kind of made me rethink a little bit that there are certain guys that probably don't fit the mold for a weighted bat, if that makes sense. Yeah. So 
um, I, obviously everybody has kind of a different body type. Um, we have different length of bones, different joint structure, different, um, uh, different ways we move. Uh, our personality type affects the way our body is and moves. So if we're super anxious or have lots of tension, we carry that in certain parts of our, uh, certain parts of our body. Um, if we're super loose, loose jointed, hypermobile, that affects things. Um, I personally have always loved the weighted bat because I probably am more on that hypermobile side, uh, where like I have joints that kind of hyperextend a little bit and that are loose. And so feeling a little tension in my swing actually makes me feel good. Um, whereas you put, you do that same thing with a guy who's, uh, maybe more of a type A personality who is maybe has more anxiety at the same time. Um, uh, you're going to, you're going to get a different response from that guy. He may move worse. Um, so I've started to kind of pick and choose who I, who I use weighted bats with. Um, and because not everybody needs a bigger engine at the same time. So I'm not always, I'm not always trying to build the engine. I mean, I, I would say in most cases I am, um, when you say, build, build guys, the, when you say build the engine, are you talking about someone who, who's already a big donkey who can hit it hundred miles an hour exit velo? Yeah. Like I just had one of those guys the other night. Um, he came in and he literally hit a ball 97 off the tee. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, holy moly, this is, this is, it's rare, but, um, but it's kind of cool. Cause, uh, you, you, you kind of take a different route. It, it kind of challenges you as a coach. Like, um, it, so I want to see him playing a game. I want to see him off live, live pitching and kind of see, uh, what scenarios he falls into, um, and how I can help him from a hitting standpoint. So, um, so yeah, uh, Dan Hefner, I stole that from Dan Hefner, the coach at Dallas Baptist, but he calls it engine building. Um, and then you got to add a steering wheel. Um, so barrel control, I guess you could call it. Um, but, but yeah, that's kind of how I describe that. But, um, I also use the handle weighted bat, um, just to kind of feel like, uh, that inertia of the bat wanting to come through you having to kind of resist it or the idea of feeding the mistake, if that makes sense. Um, if, if somebody's doing something wrong, like just feed the mistake and let them feel it even worse to see if they'll compensate. Um, so I kind of use the weighted bat. Um, I, I do weighted bat programs and I kind of choose the guys who I think that will probably be most beneficial. And I have to experiment a little bit. There is some like hit and miss. Got to see how it works on a guy. Um, but there are just as many guys I probably put a light bat in their hand, um, and they start moving better or a PVC pipe or, um, whatever the scenario may be. So, um, but yeah, like, like you said, the, the kinematics that are happening during the swing in a live mode where you're facing a multitude of pitch types and pitch locations are going to be a hundred percent different than what's happening on a tee or with a weighted bat off front toss. Um, things are just different. So, um, I guess, that's that's that hyper individualization mentality is we we got to do a good job as coaches and figuring out which guys are going to respond best using the tools we have yeah down at uh, dan heifer now dallas baptist um incredible job he's done with that program but he is a huge huge pro- proponent of weighted bats um from what i've right. heard and, and read but i mean he, whatever he's doing is working for sure um one of the other things that i i've been looking at lately is is you know, I think you just mentioned it right there was taking a bad rep on purpose. So you're being you're able to distinguish a bad rep from a good rep for each player because a lot of guys they don't really know the difference. If that makes sense, right? Um, right. 
I don't know. I mean, that's just it's just always something. I'm always looking for new stuff to try out for for my players and, and things like that. Now, what do you think about using machines like machine pitch? I know um, there's you even got machines now where you can um, put different you know spin on it and all those sorts of stuff what do you what's your take on all that yeah so um i use i use a machine sometimes um i'm i've been able to stay healthy enough to throw it guys and i kind of just shorten the distance um or adjust the or adjust the number of plates we're using so um i'm constantly trying to add that variability um and the machine's awesome um i think uh, so I'm getting a machine. I'm going to get the spin ball machine. Nice. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that just to give more, more looks, um, and to give a higher number of repetitions of those looks and be able to really crank up the speed. Cause I can't do it quite every day with my arm. <laughs> um, so I, d- I do hire people to come throw and, and, uh, and work with, and pitch, pitch to guys that are different looks. I also can throw left-handed. I, I've kind of learned this last year to throw left-handed and been able to do both. Um, and it's been nice on my arm. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I try to, yeah, as many, as many components of variability as I can add, I want to add. And so I do believe in pitching machines. Um, CJ Gilman at air force is a really good friend of mine and, um, he uses the heck out of machines and his guys are, his guys smash. So, um, not that that's my one anecdote, but, I mean, there are, there are plenty of people using machines that are getting high value out of it, including driveline. Um, I think, um, driveline is, is on that spectrum of let's do as many things as we can to create live settings and, and get guys better against live pitching. Um, and so a machine does a really good job of supplementing a live pitcher besides the, probably the timing aspect of it and just like the normal timing aspect of it. But, um, but yeah, I want to force guys to, to adjust and adapt. And if you can hit off a machine and you can get started early enough and, and control your posture, <clears throat> control and manage your posture, you should be able to do it off a machine as well. So I, I kind of don't buy into the, oh, machine is harder because uh, there's no leg kick or <laughs> there's not a pitcher throwing at me. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, big leaguers. I think pretty much every big leaguer rakes off a machine, so it's not like right. it'd, be, <laughs> yeah. it'd be one thing if you if I were to see Joey Votto, you know, swinging and missing consistently off a machine, then I might right. take a step back and, and really rethink it. <laughs> right, right. So you yeah. talked about you. I know you started out as a college coach, like you said at the beginning. Would you ever consider going back to be a college coach if the the right situation uh, took place? Yeah, I would. I would. Um, I, I love being around my kids. I have a, my two year old little boy is like, I can't imagine being away from him. Um, and so that's, that's probably been, been harder, but, um, but I would definitely consider it. I mean, I, I love coaching baseball and being, being on the field every day and getting to apply new information. Um, but I really have a good thing going right now with, with my training business and really enjoy it. And, um, I get to probably have a little more flexibility. So I think the one thing that people probably don't realize about college coaching is you're, you're, you're coaching, but you're also doing a lot of non-coaching activities as well. And, uh, and so you, you, you stay pretty busy. It's a seven day a week job for probably six to eight months a year. So, um, so it's, it's a little hard with, with kiddos, but I, I love being around my kiddos and, and wouldn't trade that right now. Yeah, I think the other thing is just 
the the money factor for college coaching i mean it's it's pretty low from what i've heard if um is that true in your experience too yeah i mean it's like anything if you if you want to get higher up you kind of you sweep the floors for a little while um i think i probably made uh maybe two thousand bucks a year <laughs> at oh junior my college gosh. level um, but yeah, you have another job. I was a personal trainer in the mornings and then I went to practice from another five hours after I got done being a, being a trainer. Um, and so it worked out. Okay. Yeah. You just kind of make it work. I had, I was married at that time too. And my wife has been very understanding and, and awesome. And that's another component you have to have as a good support team. And then when I went to coach division one, baseball wasn't, you know, much more, um, it, it wasn't uh, it, much it more. Was, it, it was better, um, but uh, but it's still it's like you when when you're starting out or when you're at kind of some of those lower jobs like volunteers and second and third assistants, um, you're kind of you're there like proving yourself and cutting your teeth and um, there's a lot of coaches who've made really good examples of like if you just kind of wait that out a little bit, um, good things can happen for you. So if it is a route that you're trying to take, um, if if people listening or thinking about that it's um yeah don't be afraid to do it i mean i i would never trade the experiences i had um it, it does get a little tough if you want to have kids and a family and i think that probably made things a little hard but um but it's it's uh if that's the route you want then you got to have two feet in and do it do it as best you can so so you said it was seven days a week is that because of all the recruiting phone calls you're always having to make and and you know go on the on the road yeah i mean uh so from probably january to to june is is seven days a week i guess and you're you practice all week um even the players have a day off but you kind of don't um, so you, you have a meeting the next morning, you may get off a bus at midnight on Sunday night, coming back from the airport. And then you guys have a meeting and go back over some stuff. Not every coaching staff does this, but, um, but there's lots to do. Um, there's bus trips to plan. There's meals to plan. There's, um, uh, you know, media guides, there's, uh, field maintenance. Um, and unless you are at a major, major program, those are your responsibilities. Um, so we are a mid-major Division One program at UNC, and so there's tons to do. Um, and we had a, we had a good set of coaches too, um, who who worked really really hard. And those guys have moved on now uh, to to bigger and, and better things. Um, and because they work so hard, and and that's just kind of that's the name of the game. If if you do good stuff in college baseball, and your guys get better, and um, and you work and show value, then yeah, you can move up in, in the college game. So since you're a former college coach, I'm, I'm intrigued by this, uh, this kind of thing that's been going on lately in terms of re- recruiting videos. So I know there's certain people that charge hundreds of dollars to make a recruiting video. You're a former uh, college coach. Is that a waste of money? Um, to make a recruiting video? Yeah, to hire to pay someone $500 to make a recruiting video for you. Um well, I guess you could think about yeah, you could think about the cost accounting format. So, if you're going to go to a showcase, you know, say once a week or once every other week for 2 or 3 months. 
um, that's going to cost probably two fifty to four hundred dollars per showcase. I would imagine, um, in most instances, if not more. If you're going to like Stanford Camp, it's really expensive. Um, plus hotel and travel, um, you might be looking at somewhere around eight hundred to a thousand dollars a weekend to do that. And I guess how good are you? How much exposure are you getting at a showcase? Um, whereas if you have a really good recruiting video that is maybe two to three minutes long, um, that really highlights your best attributes, um, and comes in the form of a professional email where, where you're reaching out to a coach saying, Hey, I'm really interested in, in being a part of your program. I love what you guys do. Um, I'd like to know more information. I want you to give me some honest feedback about whether you, believe I'm good enough and, and even ask for, Hey, what do you think I can do to get better right now? That looks great to a coach. Um, and I know 95% of every college coach I've ever talked to, if you're going to get it, and this is me included is if I get a personal email from a kid and it's got a video, I'm probably going to open it. That's my job is to make sure I don't miss anybody. Um, I'm going to open that video and, and I'll be able to tell within a short period of time if I'm even interested. Um, and if you write a professional email, I feel like a jerk not getting back to you. So um, I think that is probably the most effective way to get one-on-one with a college coach is to write that email and have a good recruiting video. So if it costs $500, you know, that that is probably expensive. I, I do recruiting videos for people and they're not quite that expensive, um, but it's mostly for my students and, and I, I want them to, you know, I want to help them. Um but that's, I think that's probably as good, if not better, a route than trying to go to a million showcases, and it's probably more cost effective that way too. Yeah, yeah, that, that is just, it's just something I'm just, I've been interested in, but, um, and just kind of learning more about. But I figured you'd be the perfect guy to ask because you've been in both places now, so it's it's easier to to see just from a college coach's perspective if you know the recruiting video actually does help. But it sounds like. You know, from what your experience, ninety-five percent of the time you're going to open up that that email and at least look at the video from a kid. Now, if a kid doesn't have the funds to do that, could he just take his iPhone and just shoot videos on his own? And then, what like what angles or what should he like look to do to try to like make the video look decent? Um, yeah, no, that we got that all the time. Um, and actually, at the mid-major level, that's a huge help to us. Is um, and at junior college level too, is I can't go out and recruit. I don't have a budget for it. Um, I don't have, um, the ability to take that time to travel sometimes to go see one guy. So, um, even that really, really helps. I would say, keep it short and try to give me two angles. Um, and then if you have any live video of you getting a, you know, hitting in a game, throwing in a game, making a great play, um, showing off your arm, um, show me some highlights. I want to see you be an athlete. Um, I think athleticism always translates, not always, but athleticism in most cases translates. Um, and if you can play baseball and and be a good teammate and, um, and work towards a common goal, then, then you might be a good fit. So, um, yeah, at, at a minimum, I, yeah, don't be helpless. There's many, many ways uh, that I was not afforded even 15 years ago trying to get recruited to college. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to utilize some of those things, and and you have very easy access. 
um, you can easily upload to YouTube real quick, include that link in an email, and now, now you have it. So, um, I know you were a college coach a few years ago, and social media has kind of blown up since then. Do you college coaches like really like legitimately check everyone's social media profile and do some uh, do some digging before they before they start recruiting kids? Yes, uh, if if it is a guy that we know we're on and we want to make a good decision on him, then um, we're definitely going to go <laughs> make sure there's there's nothing floating around out there that would um, that would cause our athletic department to to question our decisions. So. I, I would definitely say that you should be careful with what you post on social media. Um, it, I'm not a I, I'm not a huge social media fan. I have to use it because I I want people to know information. It is a route for me to communicate with my players. It's a route for me to communicate with other coaches. Um, so it, it's been very very beneficial for me. I think it's a huge time suck in a lot of ways because you can get caught into a uh, into a black hole of information and which is actually, it's been great to have that information, but it can be a huge time waster. I don't know how healthy it is for us to be on <laughs> social media like that. Um, oh, so I, I agree. Like, you know, um, yeah. So I, I'm, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. It, it does a lot of good in, in a lot of ways for me. And, um, but it, it, I, I also hate when I get stuck on it and, and, uh, and, and, yeah, I want to spend time with my family or something, you know. So. Yeah, no, no, I, I 100% agree. And I was the same way before I started doing, you know, training in this podcast. I was never on social media, but I, I legitimately have to to kind of get my name out there and, and promote the podcast and things of that nature. So I completely understand yeah, what you're absolutely. talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one last thing. Is there anything, uh, any advice you would give to um, high school players right now Um just in general, like whatever, whatever kind of you want, you would want to say to them, just any type of advice on, on training or recruiting or just whatever comes to your mind. Yeah. Um, I think that most guys don't realize that they're probably eight to 16 weeks away from transforming their career and they don't even know it, uh, or they don't know that they're capable of it. Um, but when you, and I, and I see it every I see it every year, multiple times is, um, a guy will come in and, and really kill it for eight to 12 to 16 weeks. And they are a totally different, they're a totally different human being. Um, they're, uh, they have matured, they've, uh, most, both mentally and physically, um, their swing and their ability to hit is different because they've spent just an absurd amount of time trying to fine tune it. Um, and they go out and they, they, compete and have different success. I mean, it happens all the time and it's um, extremely rewarding for me. Um, but I guess my, my message would be, you gotta, you gotta give something those eight to 16 weeks. I mean, your nervous system needs that much time to make adaptations. And so I, I think a lot of guys give up after, you know, the soreness kind of peaks at two and three weeks when you start lifting. Um, hitting kind of gets boring maybe after that first month of gosh I keep doing the same thing um or um I keep hitting and gosh it's December when are we going to play I'm three months away from seeing a baseball come at me um outside so 
I think kids kind of lose hope and, and, um, yeah. So seeing something through the end and understanding there's a big picture is a huge part of training. And, um, yeah, you, it, I mean, it changed my life when I start to, when I started to get really, really serious and, and not give up on being consistent. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wish that for every player that's out there that really wants to, wants to go far. Jordan, that was absolutely fantastic advice. I love that. I'm going to steal that and, 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 and say that to my, my players that I work with as well. That was awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you uh, you taking the time today. Um, great stuff. Great interview. Um, really appreciate um, you just you giving uh, all the listeners some time out there. So, again, a big thank you to you. Absolutely, Patrick. Thanks for having me on.